We're coming out dangerous. Rockets going off. Sometimes the brightest stars shine for the shortest amount of time. Yeah, oh yeah. They heard us all across Tallahassee after that one. We gotta bring home the W. Oh yeah. We're gonna destroy them. Put them on the Heisman watch. They're fine, man. Big Ben player of the year. We're gonna be a force to be reckoned with. I played a little adult goalie. I felt like I, I scored in the World Cup, but I didn't even score. Controversy? Question mark? Pure chaos. To go crazy was insane. Chris Petley, he was the defensive MVP of the 2019 season. Oh yeah, no, I'm in my prime right now. Let's go, go. All right, and welcome aboard. It's another episode of Tally SC Talk. The official podcast of the Tallahassee Soccer Club, sanctioned and all. I'm Andrew Droop alongside Trent Young, episode 13 on deck for you here. Coming out of a very, very busy week, both for the club and for us personally, Trent. For those loyal listeners, we apologize. We realize this is coming out last second episode. And of course, we'll do a double recap here. Like we said, been a crazy week, but tons of soccer action here to go. Of course, Tally SC Talk. You can find us on social media at Tally SC Talk. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Questions, comments, concerns, hit the mailbag. Tally SC Talk at gmail.com. Shameless plug as always. And here we go. I want to welcome in my co host, Trent Young. Trent, how are we doing, my man? Excellent, my man. Just got back from Tallahassee last night. Had a game out at Florida High against Port City FC. So was fun to be out there, unfortunately. You were not able to be in attendance. Left the play-by-play duties over to me. Justin Gibbons, a good friend of the podcast, came on, did a little color. We certainly had our fair shares of difficulties last night and uh, obstructions against us. But we were able to persevere, and uh, we did get through the match. Unfortunately, broadcast got caught off a little early due to some technical difficulties that we faced. Had quite a few of those. But yeah, we were able to go out there yell and cheer on our boys and it was a good night free attendance for everybody out there it was a midweek game weren't really expecting some crazy numbers you know florida high doesn't have the capacity that gene cox has but man we were like there was no empty seat in the house there were people out there on the hill on the berm you know taking it in setting up blankets having little picnics out there watching the game we had some golf carts that assembled like a whole clan of them five ten Golf carts just chilling on a hill, taking in the game. So, man, it was awesome. The community was there in full effect last night in Tallahassee. Unfortunately, we did lose 3-0. Definitely not where we want to be in the table at this time. But we still have seven games left in the season. Plenty of opportunities to bounce back to finally get into the playoff contention. And, yeah, man, I think we got a big second half of the season coming up. Some positives going forward, no doubt, Trent. And like you said, we dropped the most recent match for Port City. But since we've talked to you or talked at you, I guess, I like to think that we're having a conversation with our fellow TSC family members or the listeners as a whole, Trent. But in reality, we are talking at them, not derogatively, but that's just how the situation works with podcasts, my man. So going back since the last time, 0-0 tie with New Orleans, so one point. And then, of course, like you referenced recently versus Port City, 3-0 defeat. So we talked about our important three-game stretch at home. Well, we had the four-game stretch. We dropped to Southern Stars, which we anticipated. We had three games, Roots, New Orleans, Port City. We said realistically to keep that 4-5 or five seed, we would have needed seven points, two wins and a draw. We came out with a win, a draw, and a loss. So, Trent, just as we had predicted, if we would have gotten the victory versus Port City, it would have put us in that 4-5 spot. But, 
unfortunately only getting four of the seven points so now we're going to have to chase a little bit as far as the realistic expectations going forward but before we get into more big picture stuff Trent let's just quickly kind of recap the New Orleans game because that was obviously one they're kind of coming up and crescendoing as a team and of course we at that point were really neck and neck at the table they at the time were on seven points and we ourselves had five so we were four and six at the table so crucial juncture to go against New Orleans try to pick up some ground try to gain an advantage and you know, want to protect the fortress that is Gene Cox Stadium, of course, fresh off our last game there with a big 3 nothing victory against the Roots. So we want to keep that train rolling. I guess big impacts, big thoughts from the New Orleans game. What stuck out to you? So that was a match where New Orleans had just traveled to Panama City a couple of days before to play the Roots. So they were in the middle of a road trip. We thought they may be traveling back home, didn't know if they were going to get a hotel or not. Eventually, we found out that they did end up staying in Florida. But ultimately, that vacation they had here in Florida set them up for success. They got a win against the Roots. We kind of predicted that that would happen, but we were hoping that they'd be a little tired coming into Tallahassee. And it certainly seemed like they were. You know, this is a team we thought was going to be at the top of the table the whole season coming into the year, but they've certainly fallen off. They've now moved back into fourth place, but they were sitting, you know, right down there, like you said, with seven points just two points away from us. So certainly an, a winnable game by all means, but didn't necessarily go our way. We unfortunately were without Cousin Cy, favorite of the pod. Unfortunately, just was not able to be here with us for this game or the Port City game. But hopefully he'll be back very soon, wishing him a speedy recovery as well as Bennett Mitchell and anyone else who may be injured at this time. But yeah, Cousin Cy was out of the lineup and, and I definitely felt like we – we're lacking the pace that he brings to us, not to dog on anyone who filled in for him by any means, but, you know, just the player who is exceptional at taking the ball and exploding with his first touch, getting downfield and making something happen. And uh, we, we kind of lacked a little bit of that offensive spark that Cy Fondo brings to the club against New Orleans. But defensively, I want to talk about a stalwart in between the posts, Grant Wallum. Grant Wall um, was a wall, a fortress in Tallahassee. And, uh, man, they could not get anything by him. We had a, a very back-and-forth match. Felt like they dominated a little bit more. They couldn't quite capitalize on their chances. Grant Wallum, I believe, had 9, 10 saves, maybe 11. You know, was coming up clutch in every single situation, any chance the New Orleans had. He stopped that momentum, you know, sent that out for a corner, and then we defended the corner as well. I mean, he was incredible the whole night, specifically down the stretch. Now, 83rd minute. Cameron Earls, unfortunately, is our sacrificial lamb, and he takes a handball, ball to the hand, gets a red card in the box, right on the back post after a, a corner kick, and it resulted in a New Orleans penalty kick. And so, you know, we're thinking, well, there's only a couple minutes left in the game. We're a man down. They've got all the momentum. Seemed like, you know, the life had been sucked out of the stadium, and then, boom, next thing you know, Grant Wallum comes up with the biggest save of the entire season – Felt like he saved our season at that point, obviously awaiting on the results for the other fixtures, but incredible save from him. And we were able to hold on the last few minutes to get that draw in Tallahassee. And that was one of the draws that we said we needed. We knew we were going to be the roots and we did. We knew we needed to tie with New Orleans and then hopefully at least win or tie at the, at the least with Fort City. Unfortunately, it didn't go that way as we talked about, but it, an incredible match from Grant Wallen from the defense as a whole, I felt for that New Orleans game. For sure, Trent, the Wofford Wall, as I like to call him, able to come up with a big save there. Like you said, save of the season. I mean, PKs, 
the ratio, I don't know the exact numbers, but to me, 90 to 95% are going in. And if it's 90% scored, I say 5% saved and 5% missed in that situation. And so we got the 5%. He went to the right, guessed correctly, and executed well in that regard. And so that was huge. And the crowd erupted, and it was a huge, crucial sequence. Because we won't know really maybe for about another week or so, how big that point was, or maybe even bigger, how important it was to keep New Orleans from having two additional points that they would have taken for the victory. But, of course, a shout-out to our boys, the uh, supporters of TSC. Oldfield Battalion had a phenomenal tweet after the game, Trent. TSC wins (laughs) 0-0, and I felt like (laughs) that was appropriate because it really feel like New Orleans was on the front foot. They were pressing, and we were weathering the storm. We had some chances, especially in that last 15 minutes or so, but big picture of the game, I think New Orleans was definitely on the front foot. Wallum huge in that regard. Earls as well coming off the back line, winning so many aerial balls, 50-50 balls, and the defense being able to withstand the barrage from New Orleans is they were definitely improved team. A rocky start, but they really start to be coming into a flow and, of course, Wallen with the big save paid it off. But we would not have gotten to that point. You talked about Cameron Earls being the sacrificial lamb. 86 minute, he was going in the back of the net. He's the last man defender. Sticks out the old right arm ball, hits the arm, and that's automatic. Like clockwork, any level of soccer, intentional handball in the box from a clear path goal. That's going to get your red 10 out of 10 times. And so Earls gets the red card. And so, unfortunately, missing the game... Thursday against Port City, which kind of factors into that stacked deck against us, if you will. But here for New Orleans, it keeps the scoreline at 0-0 and at least gives us a chance. And we can get kind of in a philosophical debate if you want to, Trent, on the merit of doing such a thing. But long story short is, ball didn't go in. We had a chance to tie. Wallum steps up big, payoff. So it makes the Earl's sacrifice worth it. Hold on. We had a ton of stoppage time. And I thought we were going to get a breakthrough in the 71st minute. I thought we were going to be the first on the board. Levy had an amazing header that the keeper, who we talked about during the broadcast, the best keeper by far that we faced all season for New Orleans. I don't exactly remember. I think it was Graham that was the goalkeeper for New Orleans. But he had a phenomenal game. And you could tell the way he operated and this quality of saves that he had against us, including the 71st minute by Levy that should have been in really put them in a position to keep us off the board. And I think lucky, as we said, Trent, to get out there with the 0-0 result. But the boys continue to fight. Like we said, no sign. That was a last-second notification. That is not something that we knew coming into the week, not something that we were game-planning for. And it's just one thing, kind of the story of this TSC team, next man up, Osgood ends up filling in for Cy, long story short, but... Unable to get the breakthrough, but I think a win, like we said from the uh, old fields, tweeted that out, Trent. I think I support that theory. The way the game played out, and at least through two of our three games set that we said we needed seven, we were on four points through two, and so it set us up for success, but unable to get that one. But New Orleans game, for a large part, that was really to speak of. We had a couple offensive chances, and Once again, just kind of keeping it big picture, as we know that game is almost a week old by the time you'll hear this podcast, so don't really want to focus on the past, especially with the Port City game that we've just had, but for the most part, you had the PK save by Wallen, phenomenal him, the defense holding the line, second straight clean sheet, 
and the levy chance was, I think, the big chance in that game. But some quality, and it shows. New Orleans has pretty much played with everybody in the league. Of course, they've had some crazy results, but it shows that these are one of the Giants. We were right there with them, and we're able to get away with the result. And maybe we can flip our fortunes and build off of this going to New Orleans in about a week or so. But to me, it was encouraging. Were we outplayed or did we feel they were the better team? I would say slightly yes. I wouldn't say that leaps and bounds, but realistically and positive speaking, it shows even when we're not playing on our best, even when we're not full strength, we can run with any team in the league. And we've had a little bit of lopsided score lines, but those were teams in moments of brilliance and just had a couple flashes. But And I don't think I'm unrealistic in the fact saying, obviously we have TSC bias, but I think on any given game day, we can run with any team in this league. And just speaking about the Giants that are New Orleans, Duke, Graham, their goalkeeper, easily the tallest goalkeeper we faced. And talking about that levy chance, it was a great ball sent back post. Levy got on top of it. And honestly, if we were facing any other keeper in the league, just an inch or two shorter, I'm thinking that might find him back in the net, man. And, you know, you talk about it being lucky that we were able to walk out there with a draw that we think is a win. That could have easily been a win because clearly, you know, there wasn't going to be a goal. We're going to throw out a hand and get an intentional handball, whatever we got to do to make sure that we keep the ball out of the back of the net. And there were certainly some good players for New Orleans. I mean, a couple that stand out, Mark Anthony Guevara, outside left back, definitely pushed up a lot, was very crucial servicing the ball in and sparking that attack and linking play from defense to the attack. So that was a good showing from him. I also thought Mason Walsh, number 11, if I'm not mistaken, was the outside left mid and then Sheldon Green, number seven, the right mid. Those were two great players, had a ton of speed and something that we were kind of missing with side didn't have his speed to track back and help out on defense. And Walsh actually goes down and gets injured slightly early into the second half. And personally, I think that if that injury does not happen, and obviously not to wish any harm on any opposing player, but without him going down, I think that they would have had a lot more linking play and, and attacking prowess there and capitalize off that momentum they were building through the first 50, 60 minutes that he was out there. And I think that he might have you know, possibly could have put the, uh, the nail in the coffin for Tallahassee. Luckily, though, we were able to, to get him out of the game and, you know, wishing him a speedy recovery, obviously, but certainly happy to see Tallahassee walk out of there with a draw. And, and all things considered, you and I in the booth, as soon as the game was over, I looked at you and I said, dude, that's a draw. I know it is a draw, but that feels like a win. The way that the crowd came alive, Tallahassee was roaring like a battle lion after that save from Walla Man. And, yeah, we were just going off. And it was just great seeing the fans that were sticking around for the whole game. You know, unexciting. You know, like we said, a lot of football fans, a lot of football culture out there in Tallahassee. You know, we, we love to see points as football fans. I can speak because I'm a huge Jaguar fan myself. But, yeah, man, just great stuff to see everybody out there supporting us full 90 minutes. And, and we certainly needed it. And everybody on the team and the 18 gave us a, a huge round of applause. was very thankful for the crowd. And the crowd reciprocated that right back out to them. No doubt about it. Yeah, that's why it was interesting what New Orleans would show up because we were kind of up and down on New Orleans. We had expectations high that they would dominate the league, and then it was kind of everybody else. And then they had a little bit of a rocky start, but then we're kind of coming into form. And then, of course, in episode 12, if you were able to catch that, when we talked to Maddie from the New Orleans organization to be able to try and get a cohesive unit is something that they were struggling with and linking the different various of the play. But it looked like 
they were starting to get rolling a little bit. And I don't know if it was just against us or the formation or the personnel, but it seemed that they started to establish a little bit of a flow. So it's kind of been a roller coaster. I was high on New Orleans. I was a little lower on New Orleans. So when they came into the game on Saturday, I thought it was a better New Orleans team than I had anticipated at that given point. Maybe if I would have kept my expectations from the beginning of the season, that's where they would have been. But like we said, we weren't at full health, and we still have some guys getting back on the mend and some guys we were unable to have. But coming back forward from this season, we continue to march through it. We continue the fight. And so regardless of our expectations in New Orleans, we got out of there with the point, like we said. And going forward here, we're still set up for some kind of success. Yeah, that's about all the realizations I guess I had from the New Orleans game trend. It was 0-0. I think an exciting 0-0. Definitely a number of opportunities. But like we said, that being now two games back, we don't want to kind of focus on that too, too much. But any other things going forward, there was a carryover with Earls and his red guard, but he has now served his suspension by missing the Port City game. And so that has kind of been rectified. So really, aside from the injuries, we're kind of back to where we want to be by Saturday when we head out to Southern States. Yeah, man, the team is looking pretty good. Hopefully uh, we won't have Cy, I don't think, this week. Maybe he'll be back, who knows. But we're getting a lot of players back. David Monroe came out and started at right back last night, playing in for Bennett Mitchell, who's been injured recently. And, you know, I thought he did a great job as well. And we also had a showing of youth last night. We had Zuri Robertson making his debut, as well as Andrew Geyer. Andrew Geyer has scored 39 goals this past season, setting a school record at his high school. He's only a junior, not even a senior. So we're talking about a 16, 17-year-old kid who's coming out. He's already made his first appearance for TSC. Zuri Robinson made a start. Played in, in the midfield as a holding midfield, played the full 90 minutes. Excellent showing from him. And so, yeah, this team is just really rounding into form. I know we kind of keep saying that, but, you know, with us being a lower division team, you know, these guys have lives. You know, things happen. They're there in school. These are a bunch of young cats just trying to make it to the next chapter of their lives and get started on that. So plenty of shaking up of the roster, but it feels like we've got a good core 20 players or so, if not more at this point. And just to tail off of the end of that New Orleans fixture, I thought that their captain, Maurice, he played a little bit more offensive in the first half, was pushing up, seemed like he was a midfielder. I didn't even realize it until towards the end of the second half, but he had a captain band on. They had a, a purple jersey and the captain band, obviously black and white. So it was kind of tough to tell, but he clearly had the best touch on the team. But we started to apply a little bit more pressure there in the second half. And so he had to naturally drop back on defense and remain back there with the back line. And I think that that definitely helped us limit their chances in the second half because he easily had the best touch of anybody on their team. And I was very thankful that he was just a defender in that game against us. It seemed like Maurice and, of course, the guy who got injured, Walsh, were the kind of lead provocateurs with that. But, hey, we were able to neutralize him, and that's what you need sometime, a team sport to give the defense a break. The offense needs to take up the charge a little bit. So a team effort to be able to get us to that zero zero scoreline. Trent, I think that's pretty much a, a solid kind of big picture look at the New Orleans game. Anything else you want to add? No. Again, Grant Wallum, we voted on it there in the press box. Justin, Zach, you and I, we think that he was the man of the match. So yeah, Grant Wallum, I know we're not doing our stars of the game, but we're going to go ahead and unanimously give it to Grant Wallum for that 0-0 win that we got a week ago. The main man with two clean sheets. So Wallum deservedly so going back to back keeping the opponent off of the scoreboard. The Walford Wall 
coming up big. So, Trent, like we said, we'll pretty much put a bow on that as far as the New Orleans part goes. It'll give us an opportunity to transition. I would call it of an interrogation of interest, but maybe we can call it more of a guest appearance or a nice little sit-down chat with our next special guest here, Justin Gibbons, of course, heavily involved in the TSC Game Day Operations. Welcome aboard, Justin, and I appreciate you taking some time to sit down with us and talk a little TSC. Yeah, I'm excited to be on. Thanks for having me this afternoon. Um, yeah, like you said, a little bit of everything, really, whatever whatever the team needs, wherever I can step up and, and help out, I'm happy to. So on Saturdays, you know, sometimes Thursdays, typically I run the stadium PA, get the beats going up there, I'm the in-stadium DJ, but other than that, I mean, before games, helping set up, helping out with ticketing, you know, putting up signs, really, you know, we're, we're a lower league team, so anyone we're all volunteer run so anything that i can do to help out um, i've been able to go to a couple of away games this season help fill up the van with some gas wherever wherever i can help out wherever chris and, and the rest of the board and the team and coach bruno need me um, i'm happy to do what i can for the club there you go love it man sometimes it seems it's a little easier to get gas than uh, others is it not yeah uh i forgot what what game it was but um we were it was it was a little nerve-wracking but we were able to find some, thankfully, filled up with gas. I, I did make a bad call. I remember we were on our way, and we were looking for gas, and I said, oh, there's one up maybe about a mile ahead. Definitely not the gas station that we wanted to stop at. So got a little got a little stick from the team there on the van. But other than that, I mean, it's away days. It, it can't be beat. It, you know, lower league, seeing the fans in other cities, being with the team, it's it's one of the coolest experiences you can have. Cool to see your involvement, like you said, at all levels. And obviously doing some camera work, get some commentary in there, setting up the field, all those signages. We see you on Saturdays roaming around, really helping out and getting into all this. So obviously that's kind of a little bit about your background with the team of what you're doing currently. But how did you get involved, man? Because like you said, lower division soccer, it's a lot of cool stories and especially a community like Tallahassee that's smaller than people think but a lot of community-based aspirations here within the club. And so we do get a lot of people tangling webs and, and getting involved in here. So how did you get involved with these boys, like you said, going back to the inaugural season? Currently, my I guess my day job, I, I work at Visit Tallahassee. Obviously, Visit Tallahassee is a title sponsor. We Our logo's all over the place at, the, at Gene Cox, at Florida High, and obviously on the away kits. But I was an intern at Visit Tallahassee right before our first season. I guess that would have been fall of, of 2018. Chris Petley came into our office for a meeting. This was after we had already you know, signed the sponsorship agreement and everything. And he he came in. Um, it was me, my boss, Joe Petrowski. He's the director of sports there. We sat down and just kind of go over some ideas for the club. You know, like what league you were going to be in, you know, what some challenges that we're thinking about facing. Just general stuff like that to update, you know, the team at Visit Tallahassee. And Chris, he basically was like, I'm, I really need an intern. I need someone that I can just kind of give these tasks to that, that can help out, that, that knows soccer. Um, and at Visit Tallahassee, we, we host a lot of events here in town. So we're pretty well connected with the college and with the sport management organizations over there. So I was there and Chris just looked at me and I looked at him and, and I was like, I, I know soccer. I mean, I'm, I'm happy to help where I can. So I think the next day I, I met Chris at, at Lucky Goat up on Thomasville. I didn't know what to expect. I showed up. I remember I thought this was going to be like a full interview. I showed up in like a full suit and tie, ready to go. I had a resume, cover letter. I was like, I'm so excited to be a part of this. And then Chris, he, he shows up and he's like, what can you do? What do you want to do? So the, the experience that I had to have, you know, 
going through the, that first few months before the first game, it was awesome, you know, getting to see from literally from the ground up, just Chris's idea into that first game, which was actually the day I graduated undergrad there at uh, the old Rec IM fields. But that was that was exciting. And then now to kind of see how it's grown over the last you know, two years, see how the team's so community based, and how everyone that comes out like last night in Southwood, it's it's so awesome to see. It's it's an awesome experience. I'm, I'm glad to be part of it. Very cool. You talked about being at the old fields, the intramural fields. For the people who don't know or potentially people who are just getting involved with the club this season here, Justin, of course, used to play on campus at FSU across from College Town, and you talk about helping out with game operations. That is a bare-bones situation, man. Go through the story of maybe a little bit of a setup or just more of the environment down there because it's IM fields for the students there. And so people go down and play sports and they have this big open field. But for the football team, it's basically just a giant grass parking lot. So how do you go in there and what was that like that season being able to set up things and be able to get a game out there on basically a grass parking lot, like we said? Yeah, it was def- definitely interesting. A lot a lot of challenges, a lot of you know ideas that were thrown around between Chris Brent Edson on the board as well. They they were really the two that kind of had a whole bunch of ideas, just threw whatever whatever we could think of to throw out there to make it a cool experience, to make it seem unique, to seem like it's something that people would want to come out to, you know, eight or nine nights over the summer. But yeah, they're at the IM fields, right? At the end of college town. It was so cool. You know, people would come, they would it was cool for the fans. They got to pregame there at the at the bars there in College Town and then come over. But from a, a game operation standpoint, definitely a lot of challenges, a lot of interesting things that we had to do. You know, our, we had a homemade scoreboard. We had our, our little suites area was, you know, kind of you know, bring your own tent, set it up. That's your suite, you know, tables and chairs just all over the place, you know, line in the field. But it was it was such a cool experience to see that. That was like I remember that first game. That was pretty cool to see. I, I don't remember exactly what the attendance was, but it was well over. Like, I think what anybody had anticipated. But we outgrew it. Nobody really expected. Nobody really knew what this team was going to be about. And obviously, just with the the community buy-in and, and all the buy-in from the board and the volunteers and everyone, it, was, it wasn't feasible to play there anymore. You know, now we found our our permanent home for the time being at Gene Cox. I think it's one of the best facilities in, in the league that I've seen. We've done a lot of stuff this season to really make it feel more more like a home for us. I don't know. We have those those new on the other side of the field, the, the Tallahassee Soccer Club banners, the flags all over the place. I, I haven't seen a lot of teams in our league do. We definitely weren't able to do that as much at the IM fields. But from a game operations standpoint, night and day between being on campus and being at Gene Cox. Yeah, you talked about the interview process as far as you showing up with a suit and tie. I feel like that's classic TSC or classic Chris that you roll in there you're expecting this big formality he's like hey brother we're just grabbing coffee talking about it but for your role in the team because obviously there's a lot that you do and like you said with the internship and and being involved in so many different facets what about the organization makes you want to keep coming back the, the community and it's like a family buying there there's such a cool culture around the team and you know, all, everyone that's involved and it seems like every week we get a new, you know, someone's reaching out to me wanting to volunteer. They, they see what we're doing, um, see what's going on on social media. A lot of students, you know, we have this season, Colby saw, I'm sure you guys are familiar with him running social media. Like he just reached out to Chris and was like, hey, this is what I can do. That sort of stuff. And everyone's just so, so well connected with each other within the club. Like I said, I, I've had that chance to go to those first two away games this season. I rode with the team, rode with Chris, Mike Bonfante on the board, sat with the players in the van and stuff. And that real connection that you make with the players, you know, the board, volunteers, coaches, that's, it's really cool. It's, 
it's not something like I've ever experienced, not something that I've ever seen in any other sport or, or league or, or anything like that. So that's really the biggest thing that, that keeps me coming back, you know, every week, week in, week out. So Justin, anything in particular that you would recommend or suggest somebody who is in the local community who wants to get involved as a volunteer at this club? I would honestly say just send send them a DM and send us a DM on, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Say, you know, if, if you're a student, if you're at FSU and you want to get involved, you know, you need some volunteer hours, you want to get a little bit of experience and, you know, maybe a different part of, of an industry that you don't have a whole lot of experience. With. We're happy to have you come out and help out where, really wherever you see fit. Whatever you want to do, we're happy to help you, you know, figure out what your passion is and, and get you some experience here with the, with the team. Justin, you talked a little bit about your soccer background and, of course, having a little knowledge about the game. Tell us a little bit about that, man, and how you fell in love with the beautiful game. My journey to, to loving the game of soccer is pretty unorthodox. I Growing up, I never really played. I mean, you know, everyone plays when they're five, six years old, but I never played like competitively or, or in middle school or in high school or anything. Um, I just remember the, the very first video game that I think I got that I really remember playing, I think it was FIFA, FIFA 12 or FIFA 10, and there's an Arsenal player on the cover of it. And they were just the default team. I didn't know anything. Being, you know, an American kid living living in Tampa, we didn't have soccer at that time. The Rowdies weren't around. So I didn't know anything about soccer. Um, but I just started playing that FIFA game. Arsenal were the default club. So I started playing as them. Um, and I just saw they were on TV a couple of times, started watching. Like, they got a cool, you know, they got a cannon on the shirt. They got some cool players. They're one of the best teams, I guess. I just adopted them as my team. And since then... I would say my my love of the game and my my passion for for Arsenal and just really the game in particular has kind of just grown and grown over the years. So nowadays, you know, six a.m. on a Saturday, I'm waking up to to watch them blow a lead right at the end or something like that. I'm I'm part of a, a few different supporters clubs here in, in the states. But yeah, that, that's really how it started being a being a fan of of Arsenal and and following the Premier League. And then when I graduated Florida State as an undergrad, spring of, of 2019. I was fortunate to get a job working for Inter Miami, um, the new MLS club down there. So that really kind of took it to the next level. Just I consumed every last bit of soccer that I could. I was I was up until you know 1 a.m. just watching these random YouTube videos of like the soccer culture and that sort of I guess the culture around the game is is more of what I like rather than the uh, obviously the play on the field is incredible. It's one of the there's a reason why it's called the beautiful game, but. I think just that culture around the sport, the, the people that follow it, the different types of content that are available for, for soccer fans is really cool. And then, yeah, so when I was down there into Miami, the you know, similar situation of building a club from the ground up. I don't remember. I think I was like the 12th employee that they had down there. But it was just so cool to be a part of that and to see the, the different sort of soccer culture that they had and being in such an international city. I got to see, you know, I became a fan of Boca Juniors. I became a fan of just like these random one-off clubs all around the world. And now, you know, if a game's on ESPN+, Plus, there's a 99% chance that I'm going to watch it. So we got the first game of the Euros coming up, starting this summer, Gold Cup, men's national team, women's national team, whatever whatever it is, if the ball's being kicked, there's a good chance that I'm watching it now. So basically you're close, personal friends with David Beckham from your time at Inter-Miami, is that correct? Oh yeah, Bex and I, we're boys now. He came into the office a couple of times. That was, that was so cool, like, he was one of the first players that I ever remember watching. Like, obviously, in, a, in America, you, there's only a couple of teams that you can get to watch on TV. And there was like that early Manchester United team when he was there, you know, Champions League when he was in Madrid and stuff. I know people on the pod, people that are listening to the pod can't see, but over my shoulder here, that's a, a Beckham signed cleat from when I was down there. So I got I got to meet him a couple of times, but I, I would say if we, we saw each other out 
he would have no idea who I am. That's cool, man. I mean, still just being able to have a conversation. Was it kind of like a starstruck interaction where you're trying not to mess this up? Were you able to chop it up or was it kind of just business stuff and him just kind of kissing babies and high-fiving everybody in the office? I didn't really see him too often. I remember the, the, the one story that I have really of when, when he came in is I remember obviously him being a Manchester United legend. I remember, I don't know how, I honestly have no idea how I remember this. I guess obviously Beckham being there, you kind of remember everything. But it was Manchester United, Tottenham were playing and working for a soccer club. You know, we have TVs all over the office and they were playing and it was Mourinho's like first game at Tottenham going back against Manchester United after they fired him. And he was just sitting there like 10 feet away from me just watching. And I was like, this is one of the best soccer players ever watching his former club with their manager who they sacked a week and a half ago, just sitting there. So that was such a cool experience to, to be a part of that. And like when I was down there too, like not just him, but we would play games on, you know, weeknights, Wednesday nights, and there would be former MLS legends that are like academy coaches on there that I was able to, to meet and, and play pickup games with and, and stuff like that. It was such a cool experience to, to see just the different levels of soccer, kind of how everyone came together for the club. That's awesome, man. Not only work experience but just personal experience of something that you wouldn't be able to replicate and like you said just being immersed in the culture you were in it like you said the pickup games and during the week and running into Beckham those aren't experiences that people have or in local clubs a lot of these people who are who are big time into soccer don't have or may never have so that's super cool man to see that that you've already been able to establish that and bring a little piece of what the big leagues could be to TSC man because maybe if we go on a little bit of a tear as we continue to build we are in the grand soccer pyramid scheme here in the US so maybe we could run into these clubs it'd be a dream to have you know the the Rosa Negra, as they're called come up and have to play a game at Gene Cox that would be that would be insane. That's one thing about this NPSL, this new league that we're into. If we go on a run and, you know, we can we win a few games, one of these big clubs, like, there's, there's a chance they can come have to play at Gene Cox. What, you know, it might not be MLS, but full-blown professional, you know, USL1, USL Championship Club, like, they, they're going to come play a game here. So that's so cool. And just that's obviously that's probably the end goal for a lot of people is to to get in and play those big clubs and get that experience. Yeah, that would be so awesome. That was kind of my biggest thing is e- either home or away. Obviously, it would be hilarious. And I think of the revolution or one of the OGs or like Columbus having to come down to Gene Cox Stadium, flying into Tallahassee International and having to go through that whole process. But even just going there. Like you see just the guys on the field and they would be out there at these massive stadiums, Cincinnati, or even like you said, even those lower tier teams. But yeah, that would be so sick, man. Just to see the boys over there, Bruno on the sideline and Corey, Schmoker, all those guys just running around on this gigantic stage. That would be cool, man. That'd be cool because they take a lot of teams from the MPSL. I don't know how much you've looked into it, but they can pluck a lot and you don't necessarily have to win the MPSL, from my understanding, is we could be one of the top teams in the South and be able to slide at least into the opening rounds. And then, of course, once you're in, you got to win. But to me, I was surprised it seemed a little more open than what I could have anticipated. Yeah, I know. Unfortunately, I think this year, obviously, just with the pandemic and, and everything, they've kind of condensed the Open Cup. So I don't, I don't think this year is possible for us, but definitely you know, next year and, and moving forward. I think I, I looked it up one time. I think if once we get in, I think we're like three wins away from potentially playing one of those USL championship or MLS clubs. So that's the thing. Like when, once you're in, like 
you know, it's, it's the magic of the cup, as they, as they say overseas. Because that was the thing. I mean, it happens every once in a blue moon. I know there was a team. Oh, my gosh. I forget what they're called now. But they were kind of Baltimore, D.C. area. So that's where I'm from. And so that's what it was like all in the news. Basically, it was, I don't know. I didn't know their league affiliation. But let's say it was close to the MPSL. You know, kind of that three, four, five tier. They were just sponsored by a liquor store, whatever the name of the liquor store was. And it was like FC Liquor Store. I think it was Christos or Pristos or whatever. And you can look this up. And they actually went all the way up in Baltimore, D.C. area. They played D.C. United. And so D.C. United had to play at their Hark Stadium and come to them. And they actually went 1-0 up on D.C. United in the first half. Of course, they came, they stormed back in the second half and they ended their run. But they got, I don't want to make stuff up, but I want to say, like, they got to the Elite Eight of the Lamar Hunt. Everybody was just buzzing about it. It was just super cool to see and just a unique opportunity outside of cup play like you said the magic of the cup there's there's no way anything like that happens in a in a regular situation i don't think i want to know what would happen if we went one nil up at gene cox against one of those big teams from mls like if, if we went one nil up against like an orlando city uh i don't i don't know the the windows in the press box would probably be shattered or i'd love to be down on the sidelines man or <laughs> or wherever Mr. President is, and and the the rest of the board members are old fields. There might there might be some serious serious craziness going on there, man. We could dream, man. We could dream. All right, Justin. So talking about a little craziness down in Gamecock Stadium, we were at home, but at Florida High last night, and we certainly faced a little bit of adversity. You came on and did a little color commentary alongside me. What was kind of the scene around Florida High's game last night, and all the obstacles that we were up against last night? I think yesterday was the hottest day that we've had. It was super hot, hottest day of the year, I think. But I mean, it started out not being able to play at Gene Cox where we played all of our home games, most of our home games since the beginning of the club, um, having to go down there and play at Florida High. I thought everyone with the team did a great job getting that set up, you know, making making the most of it. Like you guys said, I, I got to fill in, do a little bit of color commentary and, and work on the camera, which was awesome. But yeah, just just the atmosphere. There's a lot of adverse that we faced going into having delay kickoff 30 minutes. Just super, super hot all night. It, it cooled down a little bit once the sun went down, but it was unbearable. I don't know how those players were doing it. And then just going in, sprinklers coming on, every, everything. It, it could not, everything that could go wrong, seem to have go wrong for us. Yeah, so you talk about the heat, Justin, and just kind of focus on that. We want to attack these points of adversity and juxtapose them against the normality. So you talk about the heat, first of all, obviously brutally hot week this week, especially yesterday, like you said, but also the way the stadium is situated because it's an open-air press box and it's not as tall as Gene Cox Stadium. Obviously, at Gene Cox, when the sun is setting, you get almost the entire field is shaded. Obviously, we're up in the air conditioning press box. It's like a luxury suite up there, but not the case at Florida High, man. You guys are getting roasted down there in the press box, full heated situation, little to no shade, and it is brutal. So totally understand the heat aspect of that, and that thing is real. And like you said... Just trying to see what the players were dealing with, man, and, and going through that is that's brutal. Not only the sprinklers coming on, because you referenced the sprinklers, Justin, but I think the timing of the sprinklers is also important because when did they pop on? It wasn't like a pre-gamed designated time to just wet the pitch like they do kind of professionally. It was not on purpose. No. So typically, I mean, I don't know how you know they do it elsewhere, but sometimes they'll pop on, you know, right at the beginning of halftime. As soon as the players and coaches are off, they'll, they'll pop up. I don't know. We were... We were over halfway through halftime, I think we were there. 
you know, maybe five minutes until second half is supposed to kick off and all of a sudden just the sprinklers on the field and like in the little areas off the field we're getting. So there's some people in the stands getting a little wet up on the berm. I think there was a little, the kids were loving it. The kids were playing in it, you know, having, having a great time getting wet. But yeah, the sprinklers came on and somehow, I don't know, I don't know how, but they just would not get shut off no matter what happened. So unfortunately, because of that, they just had to shut everything off. We lost power up in the box too. So second half, unfortunately, we I didn't get to continue on with my color commentary, my camera work. Thought I would have done a much better job in the second half. There were some times during the first half. First time on the mic, I was watching Martin Tyler videos all afternoon trying to get prepared, but definitely some, some improvements to be made for sure. Like you said, the sprinklers are coming on and they can't shut them off. And so they have to figure out some way to shut them off. And in the process, the entire power. So it's not just the press box. Also, things that come into play when you shut off for the power of the press box are obviously the broadcast equipment and the scoreboard. So you guys were kind of flying naked going the second half. And so were the players. So was the ref. And I, I heard the ref was getting a little testy to start the second half scoreboard. When do you guys want to jump in and talk a little bit about that sequence as well? Yeah, Zach was the scoreboard operator last night and was keeping the time on the field. And about four minutes, I think, and 39 seconds left before halftime was over, before the second half started, it just shuts off. And so a couple minutes go by, the sprinklers are on. Then it looks like the players are out on the field. They're, they're kind of jumping up and down, stretching and getting loose. Like they're about ready to go. The sprinklers are just blasting everybody at this point. And, you know, then Hatley comes to the rescue, shuts the power off, ends up shutting off the scoreboard as well. The ref comes over and is yelling at Zach and asking him, hey, man, you got to reset the clock. And he's like, dude, we don't have any power at all up here. So currently we don't know if the broadcast even from the first half is going to be able to be salvaged uh, definitely didn't get anything for the second half unfortunately it was 2-0 at the break ended up resulting 3-0 they scored a goal right after second half started i mean justin and i we were breaking everything down putting the equipment away just in case some of those sprinklers turned back on started facing our way or something but in the midst of that we just look up and i see a ball in the back of the net and a little celebration from Ford City. And just like that, it was 3 nothing. Now, I talked to a fan in the crowd. He said that the ball was on the far side of the pitch. They just crossed it. There was a man wide open. And, you know, he just buried it one-on-one with the keepers. Yeah, it certainly was not in our favor. But going back to how hot it was last night, and uh, something that Jupe and I have talked about multiple times, it's been kind of up and down if we're going to have a water break or not. Luckily, both coaches, both teams did agree to a water break last night. So we did have a water break. In more than one instance. Yeah, the water break not being exclusive to uh, in the water bottles, of course. <laughs> but, yeah, my goodness, you guys going through it. And, of course, trying to pull up the Internet, getting the firewall blocked. And, and it seemed like everything was rooting against us. Going to on the field, you talked about the game time a little bit, Justin. Expand on that because all of a sudden we find out a game that was supposed to start at 7 was pushed back to 7.30 at this new location and a, a different, whole different timeline going on. Obviously, just a half an hour, but, you know, another thing that's changing it up, throwing players off. Do you think it was a legit travel concern, or do you think that Port City just forgot that we were in the Eastern time zone, and so they had to play catch-up, and they just needed a little more time to rip out there? Oh, I'm, I'm all in on the, uh, they didn't realize we were in the Eastern time zone. I mean, I think what we're we're one of two teams. It's just us and Jacksonville that are in the East, 100. percent 
they just didn't know. They didn't plan ahead, giving themselves that extra hour. I think having delay kind of helped us out a little bit. I mean, we started out like we were playing mid-game form. Like, we started out those first 15 minutes, I thought were one of our best spells of the season. Like, we were dominant on the ball. Levy, David Monroe, both of them, they were just going going at it. It seemed like every ball that was in the air, we were winning, and we were getting chances. We just couldn't we couldn't get shots on goal. And therefore, you know, we just couldn't put the ball in the back of the net. Was there a specific lineup that we started out with? I know we typically fall into more or less, more often than not, little four-five-one. But one of the other things of adversity here, Justin, is the personnel because we talk about the injuries and the changes to the squad. So obviously, a couple weeks ago, Bennett Mitchell in that collision that left him injured. The back position is very slim, of course losing Mike and losing Cole Red here recently, and then talk about Cy being out this one as well. Another primarily defensive player for us, Cameron Earls, of course, serving his red card suspension as he went sacrificial lamb versus New Orleans last week, which we can talk about a little bit. But tell us a little bit about the look of the squad and yet another adversity TSC was having to overcome back on the game versus Port City. Yeah, definitely. I mean, for, formation-wise, we, we kept that four at the back. One interesting thing that we noticed up, up there was David Monroe, you know, typically the biggest guy on the field, he slotted in over at right back. And just, it, like I said, every single time, he, he had a great, great performance there in the you know first part of the game. He was up winning the ball. Jerry Robertson came in, made his debut this week there in midfield. And he also, you know, had, I thought he had a good performance, linking up well with the guys on the wing, with, with Schmoker, with Johnny, with Levy. Overall, you know, I thought we that, that first 15, 20 minutes before we got the PK, like we, we were dominant in the game. We could have been up easily, I think, you know, 1 0, 2 0 at least, but it was just that last little bit we just couldn't find. I think we had a, a run of like four or five corners in a row in that first spell, too. So we just, those, those set pieces, that, that constant attacking pressure, you know, pressing from the front, it really helped us out to settle in that first 15 and really put the pressure on Port City. That's been kind of one of the mantra is Bruno wants to start fast and put the pressure on the opponent and just that aggressive mindset. So cool to see that we came out like that. Obviously, a couple of opportunities that got away, but we're starting to warm into it. Take us up to the PK, Justin, how we got there, what went down, an opportunity at this point, the game was at zeros. The PK upcoming, a chance for us to take the lead. Yeah, uh, man, I, don't, I actually don't remember who won the PK for us. I just remember there was a there was a little collision in the box. Um, the center ref originally didn't give it as a foul. Um, he had a conversation over with the uh, the fish on the far sideline almost immediately. V- VAR review, my, they must have done something there. But he gave the PK. Schmoker stepped up, went low right, and just unfortunately the keeper saved it. That their keep Port City's keeper had. I, I thought he had a fantastic game as well. Um, I don't know his name. We didn't get the name and number roster, just their names. But he he came up big for them a few times with some some key saves and some key stuff in some key spots. Yeah, I guess where would you rank him? Because I think hands down the New Orleans keeper, at least in my opinion, and and I know Trent supports that from our conversations last week. Um, New Orleans keeper by far the best we've faced all season. Would you put him kind of top three keepers that we faced? Yeah, oh, definitely top three. He didn't have a lot of action. We didn't have. Too many shots on goal, but like the the timing of his saves, where they were in, in relation to like how the game was going, were were really big. I mean, you know, if we if we go up one 0 there at that PK, it's completely different. Last seventy minutes of the game. True, because once you go down one 0 you know, it changes the whole narrative. Like you said, what was the mood after the missed PK? Because it didn't take long for things to kind of flip on its head a little bit. Yeah. So after that Schmoker penalty that was saved, it kind of bounced out. 
Um, before it went out, it was kind of still in play. Schmelker was going over trying to get that ball. It was very close. It ended up going out for another one of those corners. Like Justin said, we have four or five, maybe even six total in the first half. So definitely a lot of pressure there in the first 15, 20 minutes. Just after that, I think it was about the 20, 21st minute, if I'm not mistaken, they had a free kick. Port City had a free kick about 35 yards out, 30, 35 yards out on the right side. And it was a great cross the whole time. I mean, and I had a really good viewpoint, I thought, from where I was at. It looked like it was going straight to Wallum in the middle of the goal the entire time. And then last second, it just kind of dips and curves, and it just finds another player perfectly. I didn't get the jersey number, unfortunately. Um, but that was an assist. Number seven ended up taking that. So kind of knocked the wind out of our sails a little bit. Could have easily been one nothing Jacksonville, maybe even 2 nothing. because around that time, Levin Simba had a great shot. And just to tilt off of that keeper talk that you guys were going on about, I definitely thought he was second, maybe third, but, you know, limited chances the entire night for the keeper of Ford City. But he had a great stop against Levin Simba. went through his hands, but he got just enough on it for it to hit the post, the crossbar, and it went out for another corner, so... That was a very defeating moment. Looked like Levy was going to be the first to double up. Great shot outside the box was left foot. Unfortunately, just couldn't go in. But yeah, just a couple minutes after that free kick, number seven again, just tormenting us on the opposite side this time. Just does a quick little turnaround and whips it back post. And Grant Wallum, I mean, really nothing he could do with either of those, in my opinion. Just unlucky. Great goalkeeping. I mean, I thought he still played a really good match. He did get subbed off, and Cranbeck came in later in the second half. But still a good showing from Wallum, and just got a little outclassed there by Ford City, in my opinion. 35 minutes in, so down 2-0, obviously in the first half. Not something that's out of reach, of course, by any means. Gone down a couple goals a couple times this season, so not a kill shot, if you will. Do you feel like, as far as with the two goals in, was it more of a barrage offensively, like something that we saw against Jacksonville or the second half versus New Orleans? Or do you feel like it was more like Southern states where they really only had three or four opportunities in the first half, but just were able to cash those in and go to the bank with what they had going forward? Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely say more like Southern states. There wasn't like there wasn't too many periods in the game where where they dominated the ball and were you know sitting there getting corner after corner, you know playing there in our final third. Um, it was more of like, like we said, we had that, they countered, they got, they earned that free kick and scored. And then just a few minutes later, number seven cut in just outside the box and just whipped it lower corner. They just, they just capitalized on the chances that they had really there in the, those first you know 45 minutes. Um, and there's not, there's nothing that we could really do about really either, either one of those in my opinion. I think obviously a free kick, you know, set piece you, you can, but that second goal, you know, I thought we defended well. I think Peralta was marking him one-on-one. He had a step on him and he, he curled it in down to nil what's the feeling around halftime do you get a sense for the team the crowd the atmosphere that we have going into the break well i didn't notice at first but justin had pointed it out we obviously had our microphones muted and we were just looking at the camera panning through the crowd and everything and we stumbled upon the team on the far side of the field and bruno was really just kind of going in on them was really trying to get them back involved in the match you know keep their heads on on top and, and really get back in there and fight for it but yeah, I mean, the crowd was still plenty of people there. There were still some people even trickling in at that point in time, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, we had some golf carts, five or six golf carts lined up outside of the stadium. So there were fans everywhere. Everybody was engaged in this match. Again, we didn't get the chance to see what happened right after the start of the second half, unfortunately. But from everything past that third goal, I mean, it was a very close match. I felt like we had plenty of chances throughout the game, first half, second half. 
and it definitely never felt like a barrage from Port City, but they certainly did capitalize on the few chances that they had there. Yeah, what about you, Justin? Any thoughts similar, different about coming out of halftime or the feeling of the squad? From an atmosphere standpoint, I thought it was a a great atmosphere there at Florida Hawk. Obviously, free attendance for all. The Southwood community really showed up. There there wasn't an open seat in the seating area on the bleachers there, Um, so they had a, a little berm over by the scoreboard that was full of kids and, and family just hanging out. And then on the far side, there's a little golf cart army of, of people lined up trying to catch a glimpse of the game from there. Um, on the field, yeah, I thought we we made that first half sub. We brought on Corey Osgood. He brings a little bit of a different feel, a little bit more physicality to the game. So I thought he and Levy both kind of linking up here on the, on the left side brought a, a little bit of a different look. Try to throw something different at them, which I thought it seemed to work a little bit. We started to get some chances. Like like you said, Levy had that shot. And they hit the crossbar. And then Levy looked like he went down hurt for a while. We were, we were talking to the booth like we, we were worried for him. It went, he went down, you know, couldn't put too much pressure on his leg, came off, got some magic spray there, and then came right back on. And I thought he put in a pretty good performance, really physical there in the field. Yeah, that is definitely something that Osgood brings to the table. We've seen a number of years throw him in there, rough people up, get in some slides, make some good tackles. But I know at least it seemed like the New Orleans game, maybe a little bit of a a side thought here, but it seemed laterally there was some great movement offensively, but I know a key piece was kind of that vertical threat. Like you think about it in football, American football is like a deep play receiver, but Cy is like our speedster on the perimeter, and those big diagonal bars or those deep balls were something that we were missing. Do you feel like that could have been an asset here offensively that, of course, just with him not being there, potentially set us back a little bit? Or was it just we were just needed one more touch of quality in that final third to really put us over over the boundary and get that breakthrough? Yeah, obviously not having Cy is a big loss for the team. I mean, he's one of our best players going forward, his, his pace and his ability on the ball is it, it can't really be matched by anyone else on the team. Um, so losing him is, is obviously big, but yeah, especially in that first half, we would seem like we, you know, we had the ball in the box, Johnny being Johnny, he was, you know, just magical, you know, Tallahassee messy, but it was just like that last thing. Like we, he put it, he put in a great cross, he'd whip one in or smoke would whip one in. And it would just be like, you know, maybe just a, a little bit too high or just a little bit too far for someone to get on the end of. So that was, that was really the biggest thing. Just kind of like, like you said, you know, laterally, you know, in, in midfield, we played well, Johnny, Levy, Schmoker, Corey, they all linked up pretty well side to side. And then Laird holding up the ball up top. But it was just like getting in behind, getting that last chance to get a quality shot on goal is what we really lacked last night. Absolutely. Cousin Cy always going to be missed when he's out of the lineup. Trent, as I'm sure you will let us know, my man, what were your other thoughts on the remainder of the second half? Obviously, going down 2-0 at halftime and 3-0 and down the stretch here. Yeah, so Schmoker had some good services there in the second half, a couple that found Corey Osgood. Um, Nick Ramsden came in, and he is known as an attacker, at least in high school and so far this season for us and the few appearances he's had. But we actually dropped him back. He played a lot of midfield in the second half when he came on as a substitute. So, I mean, I thought he played great in a different position for the first time, making a lot of tackles and dishing the ball out and really sparking the counterattack. So I thought that was a really good performance from Nick, one of our younger players on the team. In the second half, we did sub out Grant Wall and put in Cranbeck, got him some time. So we think that might just be keeping everybody fresh. You know, we talked about that a couple pods ago. You know, we're going to kind of have a little rotation going on, make sure everybody's staying sharp. So Cranbeck got in the fold a little bit late, didn't concede any goals. So that's always got to feel good, I'm sure. And as well, Andrew Geyer, in addition to Zuri Robertson, made his debut in the second half. He got subbed on. Great young players. Andrew Geyer actually had 39 goals as a junior, setting the high school record at his school. 
and he's still got a whole senior season left. So this is a kid that's got a lot of promise. If he doesn't make it on the senior team, I could definitely see him having a huge impact, maybe even being the captain of the U19 team. So yeah, we got a good look at the youth movement and the future of the club here in Tallahassee. So what was your takeaway from the rest of the second half and the conclusion of the game, Justin? I thought in the second half, like you said, we made some subs, brought some young players on. Geyer, Rams in a different position than what he usually plays. Um, honestly, the second half, that was the first time ever that I've ever just been able to be a fan of the team. So that was really exciting. I thought we played well in the second half. Like you said, we had those chances. Just their goalie made those timely saves when he needed to. And we never really got a, a strong foothold in the, in the game. And I had another spell of, you know, 10, 15 minutes where we were bringing pressure, you know, having these quality chances where you could really see us put money in the net. All right, so absolutely, guys, got a picture of the youth movement and and able to finish strong. Unfortunately, we're not able to get a goal in there. So it brings up a really odd sequence. Obviously, we've played the seven matches, and I realize this looking back at the box scores, we've played four matches with Florida teams, and then we've played three matches of teams outside the state of Florida. Guys, we have not scored on a non-Florida team. We have our 10 goals on the season. We have three against the Roots the first time, three against the Roots the second time. We had three against Pensacola and one against Jacksonville. No goals against New Orleans. No goals against Southern States. No goals against Port City. Anything to look into, guys, or just a weird anomaly? It almost seems like that the Florida side of the MPSL is the SEC East, and we can eat a little bit there, but, man, we kind of get chewed up when we're playing the uh, MPSL West. Yeah, I mean, it must be something in the water here. <laughs> um, something must be going on. I, I didn't notice that. But yeah, really interesting thought. I mean, obviously, that's going to have to change if we want to push on and, and make the playoffs. But yeah, I think it's really interesting point that, that you make. These next couple of weeks are going to really, obviously, they're going to be a, a big part of the season. But this, these next three games in the, in the next week are going to be a huge part to see if we can push on and make the playoffs and, and how the, the conclusion of the season is really going to turn out. Personally, I just think that we're trying to win that A50 Cup, and that's why we're going off in these Florida matches, just to show the whole state that this is ours, the A50 is ours, and everywhere here in North Florida, including the Jacks Armada. We got a game against them next Wednesday, so certainly excited to see if we're able to avenge that first game of the season where we lost 2-1. So guys, before we zoom out, we'll go ahead and put a bow on this Port City game and everything that was involved. If you're a loyal listener of the podcast, you know we got to get our stars of the game. Star attraction. Star. 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 The stars of the game here for TSC. Star attraction. For those of you that are new or fresh to the mix or wondering what that's all about, basically... We want to give a shout-out to a couple of the guys we think exceeded, went above and beyond, and had great performances in the previous game. So, Justin, we're going to give you a celebrity appearance here because I was not there in person, and I feel unqualified, and it would be reckless for me to try to give out players of the game without being able to see the game film and being there in person. So, Justin, I'm going to give mine to you, and we're going to have a great celebrity appearance for our first-ever Justin Gibbons. Stars of the game. Give them to me, my man. Star attraction. In no particular order, um, I think Levy and Simba has to be in that conversation. Um, he really brought a lot of energy going forward. He had that scary injury situation um, and was just a physical presence there in midfield. Um, I thought he had a great game, hit the crossbar once, forced a couple good saves out of their keeper. 
um, and then linked up well with the rest of the midfield and, and layered up top. David Monroe, excuse me, filling in at right back. Different position than where we usually see him in the center. I thought he, he had a good game, won possession a lot, won a lot of headers, and held up the ball well there on defense. And then I think every every week, Johnny Fitzgerald, you can you can put him in the conversation for, for man of the match. Just what he's able to do on the ball. I think he's one of the best players in the league on the ball that I've seen, you know, what he what he can do in, in midfield and, and going forward. It'd be nice to see him get rack up a few more assists there. He's just so straight up fun to watch. Like you said there, Justin, just the way he facilitates and the way he sets other players up is just next level, like you said. And I would not argue with you in the fact that one of the best in the league we've seen so far and every team we've seen except AFC Mobile. So I think that puts him right at the top. Trent, what about you, man? I know you got a three pack of players you want to give for your stars of the game. Star attraction. I will go in a particular order. I'm going to go from three to one. So my one star man of the match, that's going to go to my boy, Nick Ramsden. Thought he played a great second half in limited minutes, but he was very impactful winning the ball and dishing it out and starting that counterattack. So Nick Ramsden playing in a new position for the first time, at least for the battle lines, may have some experience there, but certainly not here so far this season. So I thought he thrived in that role and, and did very well in the few minutes that he played. So that's my number three star of the game. Number two, I'm going to go ahead and give it to Corey Osgood. He got subbed in for Mateus Bittencourt right before the end of the first half. I thought Mateus Bittencourt did play a really good half, had a couple chances, a couple shots. Unfortunately, just not quite what Bruno was looking for in the personnel matchup of this match, I guess. So Osgood comes in immediately, gets two, three tackles right there on the sideline, right before the start. I'm sorry, right before the conclusion of the first half. And he had a couple good shots late, a couple that just went wide that could have easily been goals. So really good performance from Corey Osgood. Number one, three-star debutante, Zuri Robertson. In his first game for TSC, got the start, played the full 90 minutes, had an excellent game head-to-toe, was out there winning, playing in that Aaron Wimberly role as a holding mid. We did see Bruno employ a 4-2-3-1, 4-5-1, whichever you want to call it. But we did have one to two defensive mids at all times holding back play, and Zuri Robinson really just thrived in that position, I thought, and certainly somebody I think we can rely on to at least be a sub late in matches whenever we need some fresh legs. If not, you know, with the way that the team is shaking out, you know, we've lost a couple players to injury, to just family and and life matters recently, and so I think Zuri Robinson, even though it was just his first match, I think he's going to have a big impact on the team. So Zuri Robinson, number one, stars of the match, Trent Young. Cool to see Zuri getting in the mix there, like you said, Trent. And yeah, that's MPSL soccer, man. You have these things that come up and playing semi-professional. People have families, people have lives, people have other stuff going on. And it's just kind of that next man up mentality. When you got to step away, you got to do it. And you have priorities that are bigger here than soccer. But on the flip side of that, cool for Zuri to get an opportunity. And, and like you guys said, killed it out there. So transitioning out of the stars of the game, guys. Star attraction. Let's go back and take a little bit of a big picture look here at not only the season, not only the league, because like we said, we're halfway through the season, seven out of 14 matches to be played, everybody roughly at seven matches. I think everybody's got seven except for Southern States and Pensacola. Southern States has eight and Pensacola has six. So when you average it out, we're exactly at the 50% mark here for the league as a whole before we get into this weekend guys but I want to talk to Justin first 
Justin, take it how you may, but I guess give us a season outlook for TSC slash what you think about the team going forward. Looking at the playoff picture, how the table is shaking out right now, obviously, you know, there's a lot of work to be done. The one thing I will say, like, there, there hasn't really been, even in the games that we've lost, especially like Southern States and then for the most part Armada and then last night, like, we never looked like we were getting dominated. The scoreline might say different, but we were in there. Like, we had chances. We said we could have easily been up 1-0 15 minutes in last night. So we're just going to need to figure out, find some of that resilience, find out how to put the ball in the net a little bit more. That's really the biggest thing is just finding where we can get more goals consistently from. There's still a chance, you know, obviously, you know, we put two or three wins together, get some good results elsewhere. And, you know, there's easily can get that third or fourth spot in the playoffs over Pensacola and New Orleans. It's going to come down to how we shake out over those clubs, over Mobile, Pensacola, Port City. We still have to play Mobile twice. So those two games against them are really our two biggest games of the season. Going more small picture-wise with this one. This Saturday, we have Southern States that we are going to play. And so we've already seen them. They came into Tallahassee. They beat us 3-0. But like we said, they really only had about six, seven quality chances to go after us and score, and they just cashed him in. Going forward into Southern States, we were hoping that we'd have another win or a couple more points from the home stretch that we got previously. But Southern States, it seems that there's a little bit of weakness in the armor here. A team through the first four matches that looked kind of invincible. We're leading the league in scoring, perfect season. All of a sudden, Pensacola comes in, Rex shop. They sweep their series against Southern States. They beat them 3-0 on aggregate, both home and away. And so they lost two straight. They were able to rebound. The Roots gave them a really tough game earlier in the week as well. They only beat the Roots 1-0 on the road, a team that we had just taken down 3 nothing. I guess your perspective on Southern States, and are you as afraid of them when they came to Tallahassee as you are now? Absolutely not. I think, like you said, these last couple of games that they played against Pensacola and the Roots, two teams that we've played really well against, obviously, you know, beating the Roots 3-0 at home last weekend. They came in at that first game, you know, like you said, they were the highest scoring team in the league. They were flying. They have these players from everywhere. The 3-0 scoreline was not, it was not a good look for us, especially. But I think coming in tomorrow night against Southern States, we have an opportunity to not only squeak out a draw on the road against one of the top teams in the league, but potentially take all three points in Hattiesburg. So obviously that'll be the goal for Bruno. I think real, realistically, though, we do have, if we if we are able to, to get a draw against the team that's currently second place in the table, we'd be over the moon and, and we'd take that coming back home. We'll go a long way to get up there in our eighth match coming home the stretch. Like you said, if we can get the tie, set us up, go on a little bit of a run, man, because we got this road trip coming up. Put on the forecaster's hat for us. We just had the four games at home. Now we'll have the three games away, and it's versus the big boys. This is essentially the big three. We have Jacksonville. We have Southern States. We have New Orleans. Not in that order, but, of course, those are our next three coming up. Predictions on points. Do you want to dive into that? Or maybe not necessarily predictions, if we want to phrase it well. Let's realistically try to set us up for the playoffs. But how many points do you think we need out of these next three taking this next chunk in the schedule? If we can get six points out of these next three games, I think that would that would put us in prime spot to make the playoffs, especially having to play Mobile again twice. If we can get six points, no matter what the results are elsewhere in the league, I think we'll be set up well. If we can get five points even, that'd be a good, good result. One of those games, we have to get all three points in if we want to have a chance at the playoffs. So basically win two out of the next three, steal some. I like that to be able to get six of the nine points available. You look at it, even this weekend, New Orleans and AFC have to play each other. Both those teams are directly above us. 
Of course, we could technically not catch either of them, but we could really get up there and make a case to be in positioning when we swing around next week for our double fixture match. And then you look at the other one, Port City and the Armada. Port City just coming off a win here, and they're kind of playing hot. After losing the first four games, they've won three straight. So all of a sudden, Port City has rocketed up and put themselves in the conversation. So we could get a little bit of help, which hasn't been the case necessarily. Trent, I know you have some thoughts on that, man. What's up with these guys? I feel like we must be the most hated team in the league the way we're we're getting some action and results from the rest of the table, dude. What do you think about that, Trent? So, yeah, we talked about it. We had a four-home game stand juke, and three of those games we were looking to get about seven points from. That was New Orleans. That was the Port City match last night. And then that was the Florida Roots game. So we got the three from the Roots. We got the one from the Jesters. And then, unfortunately, nothing last night. So that was four of the seven that we were hoping that we would get. But as I'm looking at the table right now, Pensacola is sitting in third. They've only got 10 points. New Orleans is in fourth with 11 points. And then AFC Mobile in fifth with 10 points. And like you said, New Orleans, AFC Mobile, they'll play in each other this week. And last time we played New Orleans, when we drew with them, 0-0, we were again without Cousin Cy, and so this is a player that Justin spoke of having a lot of pace to really get us into some attacking situations and capitalize on that. And so, you know, it's rumored that Cy is going to be hopefully back by that New Orleans game, and uh, hopefully we'll have him, and then we'll be able to to get. I would say I'm, I'm going to go ahead and, and tag off what Justin said. He said uh, six points. I'm, I'm going to go five. I'm going to go one win and two draws. I think that that's realistic. So. I think that we're going to go ahead and get the win against New Orleans. We've got Sammy Frieder. We've got Grant Wall. And a lot of players that we did not have when we played Jacksonville the first time. We'll be playing them this upcoming Wednesday. I think that that could be a draw as well as with the Southern States. Unfortunately, you know, they did beat us a couple games ago, 3-0. But as we talked about, not necessarily indicative of the scoreline, the way that we played in that match. So I think that this is a, a another stretch. You know, we've only got seven games left. This is when we've got to make the most of it. But Got to have to do all of it on the road. So I'm hoping that these boys get lots of rest and we've got plenty of gas for these trips we're about to be making. So if we were able to get those five to six points, like you guys said, we'd be sitting at between 11 and 12 having played 10 matches. So that kind of puts us in back to those points per game, which the MPSL loves. Obviously having played 10 matches through that point, we're looking at a potentially 1.1 or 1.2 which is going to be right around that threshold because with the ups and downs of the season, typically about 1.25 slash 1.5 points per game puts you in that fourth spot. So we'll keep an eye on that, and that would be great if we could put ourselves at least in position, guys, the last four games down the stretch to be able to do so. But I think that's some great stuff, and we'll look forward to that, boys. I guess, Justin, as we get ready to let you go here, I know we've taken enough enough of your time, man. Any last thoughts about, I guess, anything going on with the club, short-term, long-term, in-game, or otherwise that we need to know about from your perspective? Thank, thank you, guys. I mean, everything you guys do with the pod, all the content you guys are putting out, it's, it's awesome to see. I mean, just to, to think, you know, like I said, that, that first meeting that I had with Petley at the, at the Lucky Go, when it was him, him the board, and then me, the, the lowly intern, um, to see where we are now, see, see you guys, you know, Trent, you drive from Jacksonville every week. Um, it's awesome. It's awesome to see how involved you guys are, how knowledgeable you guys are of the game and of the team. So I want to thank you guys for for taking the time and, and you know, making the Tally Soccer Podcast and Tallahassee Soccer Club what it is. For sure, for sure. Well, thank you, Justin. And, of course, 
Couldn't do it with all the people like Justin and Chris and everybody involved in the organization. So once again, joining the Tally SC Talk, which of course, the officially sanctioned podcast from Tallahassee Soccer Club. Justin Gibbons, Game Operations, do everything that the team needs, man. Joining us here on the Tally SC Talk. Once again, thanks again, Justin, and we appreciate the time, Big Dog. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. All right. Just wanted to thank Justin Gibbons again for all of his efforts at the Tallahassee Soccer Club and for coming on and guest starring on this podcast today. If you want to listen to any of our other pods, we've got 13 up now. They are available on those podcast providers. If you're interested in being a part of the mailbag, you want to get any questions and concerns on here that we can address and shout you out, feel free to send us an email at tallyscetalk at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at tallyscetalk. And we would love to take any questions, concerns, anything that you think that is pivotal, vital to this club that we need to know, that the people need to know, feel free to hit us up anytime. We'd love to have some interactions with you guys. So for Andrew Juke, for Trenton Young, this is episode 13 of the Tally SC Talk podcast. We'll see you guys next time.